Hello everyone, welcome back to the Anthony Podcast and today I'm joined by Chris Mackey. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm very, very well, man. I'm honoured to be here. Thank you for reaching out. This is exciting. Before we before we get into that before we get into the interview, I just I I just want to know I am pronouncing your last name correctly, aren't I? You are actually you smashed it. Most people actually get it wrong. They often say um, uh, Mackey or McKee or any I don't know anything other than Mackey. So you smashed it. Very well done. Okay. So, so as I said before, thank you for coming on. Would you mind? Would you mind explaining to the audience what you do? What you do at your career? Yeah. Um. So I. So I. I live in London now. I work at YouTube. Um. And for the longest, for basically most of the past ten years, I've worked on YouTube with creators. Um. But only the past three years have I been actually working at YouTube with creators. Um. So I now work with uh, some of our top gaming creators in the UK, and I just kind of try to help them build their business, get the most out of YouTube. Um, so my, my job title is partner manager um, for gaming creators. I still work a little bit in football, and I think that might grow a little bit more as well. Um, but prior to joining YouTube, I always, I always just kind of worked in football. So I'm a rare American who's lucky enough to, to actually get to work in football. Yeah. So, so, so. So do you what so do, do you know when you say you work with creators, do you mean like getting them brand opportunities or do you mean like actually giving them great creative ideas or like what do you actually do? Yeah, it's a really good question. It changes I think my my role feels like it changes every day. It's different. Um and some creators need certain things and, and others need different help. Um, I think it's less about a lot of the creators that I work with have their own managers or, or kind of inboxes that people send branded opportunities to. So it's not always me trying to help broker that. Um, although sometimes those opportunities do come in through um, like our Google sales team. And I try to help out with, with that as much as I can. Um, on the creative side, I don't really help with ideas as much as I would like to, although it's um, I, that's what I used to do in, in my past life. But um, now it's more so about helping with um, the product on YouTube. So YouTube shorts is a big deal. Live is a big deal. Um, podcasting, all that kind of stuff. So trying to help advise creators on how to use the products, uh, the suites on YouTube, basically, um, to get the most out of their, their business. So it's less about, you know, giving specific creative advice or kind of helping with brand deals and more so helping them with the YouTube product itself. So if we... If we if we go back yeah you you mentioned before that you that you wanted to be that you wanted to be in football yet yeah. what 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 was the moment where you where you thought ah i i like football i i want to go into that or what what moment actually made you fall in, fall in love with the game of football that is a great question. For some reason, and so I, I grew up in America. I live in London now, as I mentioned, but I, I always grew up in America. Um, and I grew up in a lot of really small towns too, like throughout the Midwest where there's, you know, a lot of American football that's played. So um, neither of my parents were super into football. So there's, it wasn't like my dad's a Arsenal supporter and I got passed down. That was not the case for me. Um, I just kind of, I had, I have three or two brothers and we all loved football. So I don't really know what it was that stuck out for us early on. Um, but growing up, I didn't ever think that I would get to work in football. Um, so I went to university. I have a biology degree. I wanted to be a doctor. Found out pretty quick at uni that I was not smart enough to be a doctor. So that was not going to happen. Mm. Um, and I'll never forget the day, basically the day after I graduated, I woke up thinking, oh my God, I, I've graduated, which is great. But like, now I definitely don't want to go to med school. What do I do? Um, and all I really loved was football. Uh, and there's a channel um, no longer around on YouTube called Kick TV in America. It's basically like the, the US version of Copa 90. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're really kind of representing that fan voice in America. Uh, I got really lucky to get an internship with them. Um, and yeah, never looked back. So that turned into full-time work with Major League Soccer. And then I worked at an agency after that. So just got lucky. So do you know, do you know, do you know how you just said 
you went to you went to to be to be to try and become a doctor. Yeah. So yes. do you think do you think in I do you think in hindsight it was a waste of time for you or do you think you learned anything from that time period that you take with you today? That is a that's a really good question. Um my professors would tell me that I learned nothing about biology, but that's okay. Um, I was lucky enough to be involved in, in my school's football team. I think I learned a lot about uh, like how to manage. Here's my cat. Hello, chicken. Welcome. Say hi. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, and I was lucky enough to get to be involved with the football team. So that, that kind of reinforced, you know, as I was going through uni, that I did really love football and being around the competitive game. Um, I definitely did not learn as much about biology as I should have, but what I did learn is uh, how to prioritize in life. And, and I think sometimes it's, it's not always going to be as clear what you want to do uh, as it is clear what you don't want to do in life. And it became pretty clear through me or through uni that I just didn't have the love for biology that I, or being a doctor that I wanted to be. Uh, and I think that was what steered me towards finding, you know, a career in football. So that's a long-winded way of saying I definitely didn't learn as much as I should have in school, uh, but I learned a lot of life lessons and definitely would not have traded yeah. it for the world. So, so do you know? Do you know? You mentioned to your family that that you were gonna that you were gonna go into football. What would you call it? Football, the football industry, so to speak. But you wasn't actually gonna play. What was? What was their? What was their reaction? Well, uh, I don't think it was a surprise because none of them would have thought that I, or none, yeah, I was definitely not good enough to play. Uh, so, so that wouldn't have been a surprise. But my parents have always been super supportive of me. Um, I've been very, very lucky in that sense. They've always pushed us, uh, my siblings and I, to, to be better. But my mom had this saying early uh, that like basically you just have to do your best, but have fun. And it was always that have fun part. So whenever I got lucky enough to, to get to work in soccer or football, um, I knew that my mom was proud of me for that have fun part. Like I found a career that I really, really, truly loved and it didn't feel, it still doesn't feel like I work. Um, I've got a, I've got a really, uh, a hobby that I love basically. So, yeah. So, so you, you, know, you, you know, you would have told, I don't know if you would have told 13 year old Chris, one day, one day you're gonna be you're gonna be involved in football somehow. What do you think he would have said? He would have been ecstatic, ridiculously excited, because it's all I've ever really um, loved doing. It's just I've been obsessed with it. And when I grew up in the states, um, so I'm 33 now. I was born in 1989. Um, when I was kind of a, a teenager, so like the early 2000s, there was not a lot of access to watch the Premier League, especially on TV in America, it was hard. There was one channel for a long time called Fox Soccer Channel. And they would really play United, Chelsea, Arsenal, and sometimes Liverpool games. And so you gravitated towards those clubs, but you it was hard to find, um, I don't know, it's, it would have been hard to find um, like full on matches or um, I don't know, just a, a, a different club in the Premier League. So I think uh, I got super, super lucky to come through that time um, where soccer was also growing up in the States. Um, but yeah, I never, never would have imagined uh, being able to, to work in it. And I think 13 year old Chris was, would have definitely been very excited. So, I, so, so I, I do, I do mention that when you were growing up, what, there wasn't really a lot of football in America, like actual, like, Actual like public games instead of like the big clubs. So, so what age did you go to? What age did you go to appreciate the game? Because obviously we all we all love the game, but once we get to a certain age, we look at the game differently. Like how how the teams and set up and how they how their play style affect their players and so so on and so forth. Yeah, so I grew up idolizing David Beckham, and I tried to kind of match my playing style after him. Obviously, let's be honest, I'm nowhere near as good. Um, but I was never super fast, and I don't think Beck's ever 
thought that he was going to be super fast, but he was great with a long ball. He was a great passer. And that's what I really tried to focus on is like, if I'm not going to outrun anybody and I'm playing in the midfield, then I have to be really good at, um, try to be really good at passing the ball. So I think I grew to appreciate the game through that era of maybe mid to late two thousands. Um, I never, I, I do kind of regret that. I never really had an appreciation for the original Ronaldo. I feel like that was a couple of years before I started truly like investing in the game. Um, but that kind of David Beckham era and then him going to Real Madrid, I remember was huge news. Um, so I think that was kind of the era. But at that time I was living in, uh, starting, I moved to Columbus, Ohio, which is where I spent my high school years. Um, that's like, that's kind of college years over here in the UK. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, they have an MLS team, and one of the first MLS teams called Columbus Crew. Um, their captain lived across the street from me, like kind of from my my uh, my house. And although it wasn't the Premier League or wasn't a big club or wasn't um, obviously like an Arsenal or Man United or Chelsea or anything like that, it was the pinnacle for me in the States. Um, and I, so I think I, I learned a lot from appreciating the game, whether it's big games or small games. Um, or even MLS at that time, and and what a lot of people would say was a small market. Small market. Um, that the game is just beautiful at all levels, and, and you got to be able to find and appreciate it. So it meant a lot to me. So do you think because because you found the game because you because you started loving the game maybe with like and then some of some other people do, do you think that gave you a better appreciation of the actual sports side of it rather than just being obviously there's something wrong there's something wrong with being like a super fan but you know what I mean like some people take it so seriously and what I'm basically trying to say can you find it so like you keep that sort of stage or, or not yeah, definitely. I think this is this is something that's changing a little bit now. But in America, again, I, I kind of mentioned you can only watch a couple games a, uh, a week. Now this that's very different. You can basically watch all the yeah. Premier League matches on a single day. It's amazing. Um, but also growing up, we only had access to certain clubs, jerseys or posters or, or, or like shirts, obviously. Um, and so I think that also affects the way that you look at the game. I had... Uh, I still have uh, an old United jersey and an Arsenal jersey. My little brother had Chelsea jerseys and we've got Liverpool jerseys and um, uh, Juventus shirts. And I think over here, that's kind of sacrilege. You have one club and you stick to it and you probably, it was probably passed down from your parents and their parents, um, or you've got some connection and you would never wear your rival's colors. Um, I think there's something weird about that American experience of getting to basically pick your team, but also wear whatever colors you and shirts you want um i don't mean to cut you off but to be honest i think i prefer that mentality because i think can, i think can, just for me personally i enjoy the game more because i'm because i don't really care that right because i don't really care about who might let me say like, i do have, i do have a team my my family support Aston Aston villa but I don't really take it that seriously. And I think that helped me to appreciate all sides of the game. Definitely. I, I totally agree with you. And I think this was a big realization that I had basically four years ago when the U.S. did not qualify for the World Cup. It was like heartbreaking. It was, it was like kind of rocked my core because at that point I had been working in soccer in America for a while. And I had actually think I moved over here at, by that time. Uh, and so you become so wrapped up with you know the us we're making progress we're going to go to the world cup and you kind of assume that you'll always be at the world cup and when we didn't qualify it like it really shook my core and made me think hang on i get way wrapped like it ruined my day it ruined my week it, it like had a serious effect on my mentality at that time and i think that had a big um that caused a big change for me to think about hang on if i just if i care about this so much that it's going to ruin basically my month or my year or whatever then I'm not allowing myself to love the game and appreciate it. And I, I think that taught me a lot about kind of letting go and also, um, you know, still loving the game, but taking a step back and making sure that you still appreciate it as a fan instead of getting too wrapped up in how your team does. So I hear you when you say, you know, my family still, uh, um, supports Villa, but to be honest, I try to take a step back from that. Um, I think that's, the, in my opinion, that's kind of the better way to do it right now because 
there can only be one team that wins the league at the end of the year. So the other 19 clubs are going to have a crap time. Um, well, I guess you could, you could debate that, but uh, only one club can win. So I think if you just become so wrapped up in, uh, in how your club does and you, and you aren't willing to step back and appreciate what Holland is doing for city or anything like that, then I think you've missed a lot of the beauty in the game. So yeah. I think there's something to that. Going back, going back to your journey, when you first start, when you your first ever day, your first ever day, TV. Can you remember what that experience was like? Yes, it was a dream come true because I was a fan of Kick TV for months before I got to to join, um, and I was joining as an intern, so I was going to do whatever they needed me to do. I was going to go you know, go downstairs and buy beers to the office if I needed to. I would carry the cameras for shoots and all that kind of stuff. I was literally the the the, the bottom of the totem pole and just super excited about being there. Um, and early on, so they had a host named Jimmy Conrad, um, who is still kind of doing YouTube, yeah. still doing personality stuff nowadays. Yeah. Jimmy played for the U.S. national team back in the 2006 World Cup. Um, so he is kind of like an icon, even though he, he would self-describe as never being like... <clears throat> the greatest player or the, the, the core uh -huh. player of, of the national team. He was always a very solid defender and a leader. Um, I loved watching him when I, when I was growing up and um, or even kind of coming through my college years. So when I finally got to work at kick TV and walked in that first day and they would always shoot the most ridiculous stuff. There's an, the kind of an iconic scene where Jimmy is like wrestling another employee at kick. Um, he's got his shirt off and he's standing on top of a boardroom mm -hmm. table. Uh, that was like, early on in my internship where it's like, oh my God, like no matter what, they're going to have fun and they're going to make really funny videos. Um, I think what made it even funnier is when I first started there, we were in like the business side of major league soccer's offices. So everyone was wearing like suits and trying to do like sales deals. And then you'd like peek into the, the, the boardroom and Jimmy's like standing there with his shirt off filming something ridiculous or shouting. Um, so I think that taught me a lot about uh, being intentional about having fun and creating a group of people, uh, working with a group of people that you really enjoy spending time with, because that is really valuable. So, so if we, no, you, you, you know, say that one today, you think, you think you would have, excuse me, you think you would have interned if it was like today, because obviously we, social media and we content as a whole we, we we can just turn on we can just turn on our phones or whatever we have and record stuff so do you think you would have been interested in intern internship yeah i think the you're exactly right like it's, it's actually really interesting to think about how quickly that world has changed right 10 years ago you would need a expensive camera and audio equipment and uh, uh, editing software and a laptop and a team to do that. Nowadays, you can do all of that on your phone uh, with editing tools without ever having to upload or kind of download footage and edit it and then re-upload it. Um, so I think the the challenge is very different now in, in terms of creating. I think it's a lot, in a lot of ways a lot easier now, but um, I definitely still would have done the Kick TV thing even if it happened today. Um, because it was a group of people that taught me a ton about this world, whether we were making videos with big expensive cameras or, or if we were all just doing stuff on our phones nowadays. Um, I think it was more about trying to tell the stories that we wanted to tell uh, and, and do it in a fun way and with people that you loved working with. So that's what I remember about Kick most. Do you, do you, I need to be careful how I but do you think, because it's easier to get, to get involved in the industry, do you think it can, it, it can sometimes make people not appreciate the opportunity that they have because it's so easy like to get started? Definitely. I, I definitely think that's a real thing. I think burnout is much more real now too because it's like you're, it's always at your fingertips where previously you would have to go get on your computer and go into Facebook and see what's going on. Now it's all coming through a push notification onto your phone. So I think it's harder to escape. Um, but I think just as easy, it, it's because it's much easier to get started, it's also much harder to stand out. And I think that's that's maybe the frustrating part. It's really hard to feel like 
um, you're making progress in today's world just because there's so much other new, like noise and news and stuff going on. And, and obviously, there's a, you're always gonna get you're always gonna get you're always gonna get compared to a people in a way that's all that's also another negative of today because there's so many people you're always gonna, you're always gonna get comparisons even if you're not trying to copy their style. You're, you're always going to get compared to other people and it's about how, how, how you deal with that. Because obviously some people can take it the wrong way and get all offensive about it. And then you have the people that embrace it and then just try and do the, the best that they can. Yeah, exactly. I think it is it is really hard and it's easy for us on the outside to say, oh, well, you know, you make YouTube videos for a living you should just be happy and, and like you're super, super lucky. I think they all creators who, who do this stuff full time or really focus on it, even as a hobby, but they dedicate a lot of time to it. I don't think it ever really feels like you've done enough. I think everyone is looking at somebody else's their own comparison or, um, or kind of uh, a challenger or anything like that. So, and I also think as soon as you take a break, you feel like you're losing steam and other people are catching up. Um, so there's definitely something to that where, it's really hard to take a break nowadays, or it feels like it's difficult to take take a break. Um, and I think it also feels like it's probably hard to to create your own lane and your own niche when, especially when other people are willing to kind of compare you against others and, and put you back in a different lane. So, so you think you think do you think the I personally think that that that's all that big contrib contribution to imposter syndrome because I know when I make content some days I feel like some days I feel like why do people watch this stuff it's not I, I don't think it's very good and the video that you've got a lot of effort into they don't take they don't take off so sometimes sometimes I feel like are they actually that good or are people just enjoying my stuff because of my I think there's I think it's it's healthy to to ask those questions and try to figure out what it is about um your audience that that you appeal to them for I think maybe that's, that's probably the, the wrong way to put it but what I'm trying to say is I think it's healthy to ask why an audience member watches your content but I think it's also really hard to answer that because it it comes the audience comes audience members come for so many different reasons um so I, I definitely hear you about Kind of battling with imposter syndrome and wondering, uh, especially when you put in all that effort for a video that you're confident is going to do great, and it feels like it flops, and then something that you feel like is not a great video and it, it does really well. Um, unfortunately, I think that's that's something that all YouTubers uh, or even just content creators—it's not even a YouTube thing. Um, I think everyone probably feels that at one time or another. So it's definitely an interesting challenge. Yeah, I'm um, for good. From my, from my personal experience, I would say to people, just try not to overthink it too much because I know I can overthink things quite a lot and I can really, and I can really affect myself. So just take it, I don't say take it easy, but just take it, just take it slowly. That's what I'm trying to say. I think that's the right word. Yeah, definitely. I think there's there's definitely something to being consistent and almost going slow and steady instead of trying to do too many big projects at, at the same time because it um i think sometimes the, the the challenge with youtube is just that consistency is being able to show up consistently and, and tell your audience that you'll be back and you'll be back again the next day and the next day or the next week whatever it may be um and i think a lot of times people just try to do too much in in a small amount of time and end up um getting burnt out or, or feeling like they're not making progress um, even though they're just, you know, just around the corner from, from having that one hit. So, yeah, I, I think that'll probably be a challenge forever. I don't know that anyone can truly fix that, but, um, I think the advice, as you say, is, is, is perfect in that sense to, to make sure that you're enjoying it and to, to appreciate the, that, that journey and, and try not to take it too much for granted as well. That, right. So, going from an inter, so, you know, Obviously, 
unless, excuse me, they're going from an intern to show up with the letter after the internship. So after the internship at Kid TV, that turned into, um, it led to basically a full-time job at Major League Soccer. So um, when we were at Kick TV, we were all working out of Major League Soccer's offices because MLS, the headquarters are in New York. And they, uh, they, I think they owned or half owned Kick TV at that time. So we were, as the Kick TV team, we were just sitting like at a bank of desks that was next to the MLS digital team. Uh, and the MLS digital team was the team that would, you know, make video content around the league and about the players and that kind of stuff. When my internship ended, there was actually no full-time role available with Kick TV. Um, and I interned or I interviewed at a bunch of other places in New York, like outside of outside of soccer, actually. Um, I just I knew that I wanted to stay in New York. Um, and if there wasn't a spot for me at, at kick, then, you know, fair be it as, as uh, that's sometimes how things go. Um, and then at the very basically the last minute, there was an opportunity that opened up on the MLS digital team um, to focus on basically making videos around the league's stars and, and kind of the players that we wanted to 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 be able to speak more about um and, and so to try to help build those star profiles one of the interesting things about mls i think this is still true to this day and, and probably will be true for a while but i think they've it's it's grown quite a bit since um but like when i was there it felt like a lot of the news had to be kind of built and told by us because we couldn't rely on the big traditional news outlets in the states they were focused on nfl and nba and and um, baseball and that kind of stuff. So it never yeah. felt like MLS was getting a true kind of um, opportunity for those stories to be told. So we had to kind of take the opportunity into our own hands and produce those videos ourselves. So that was the team that I got to be on um, after KTV. So still working at MLS. So, so what, what year with this? Can you remember? Can you remember? Yeah, so I started as an intern at Kick in 2013. Uh, and that I think lasted maybe nine months or a year, something like that. So basically, 2014 is when I would have started at MLS. So, so would that have been the would that have been the time where David Villa would come into the league, or was he already in the league? David Villa was not yet in the league. Actually, I remember I, I was at MLS. I was at the office when they first announced that New York City was getting a second team. So NYCFC uh, was not a thing. It did not exist when I first started at Major League Soccer. Um, I'll have to go back and double check my dates. I may, maybe I was an intern at Kick when that happened. But um, yeah, basically when I first started, NYCFC, the team that David Villa played for, did not exist. So um, I remember the start of NYCFC. I remember Manchester City would come over for these summer tours. Um, and... Uh, they would bring, I'm trying to remember who it was. They would bring players into the office to do their like TV interviews and stuff like that. But because it was a studio space that MLS was friendly to, to city and, and um, would help them, you know, shoot, shoot that content or do those interviews, we would get these random like international stars coming through as well. So uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely fun. It was, there was always something new um, going on in the world of MLS at that time. So, so can you remember when, can you remember? Can you remember the first time you had you had to do it on location, shoot, and how did that make you feel at the time? Yes, I do. Um, I don't actually know if this was the first time, but there's there's a memory that I'll never forget. Um, I got to go. This was in the summertime, and again, uh, international clubs they they still kind of go over to the states to do summer tours to to build their American fan bases. Chelsea came over maybe in, I'm assuming probably 2013, I guess. Chelsea came over to New York City and we're doing like a community event, um, I think in Harlem. And I went up with Jimmy and one of our, uh, one of our camera guys um, to shoot an interview with some of the Chelsea players. And Jimmy is a huge Newcastle fan uh, and yeah. was at that time, still is today. Um, and Demba Ba had just moved from Newcastle to Chelsea. Uh, so we, inter we, Jimmy interviewed David Luiz and a bunch of other Chelsea players. And then Demba Ba, uh, as the Chelsea players were like walking off the pitch, I think to go back to their bus, to their hotel, maybe Demba Ba was walking past and Jimmy just basically yelled at him. We, we weren't even filming interviews at this point, I don't think. Um, and 
then went over and basically explained, you know, I'm a huge Newcastle fan. Congrats on the, the move, blah, blah, blah. And then asked like at the end, like, but I'm devastated. Can I have a hug? And Dumba Ba was like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, that's really weird. But gave him a hug. And it, I think it signified, or, like, I'll always remember that because one, it reminds me so much of Jimmy and his energy and his just like enthusiasm for doing fun stuff uh, and always making sure that he got what he wanted out of, you know, the interview or anything like that. Um, and I just remember walking away thinking like Dembo Ball was such a nice guy uh, and didn't have to hug Jimmy, didn't have to stop or, or talk to him or anything like that. Um, and so it was a really funny moment. So I think that was probably one of the first times I went on location with them, even though it was still just in New York City, it was out of our office. Um, and it's something that I'll never forget. I still probably have photos of Jimmy hugging Dumba Ball somewhere. Cool. So, so you brought, you worked, you worked with, as you mentioned a couple of times, Jimmy Conrad, and you worked with people like the FD and so many other people. So, what have you, what have you, have you, so what have you learned from each of them that you, that you try and implement either in your life or in your, in your career? That is a really good question. I think one of the things that I've, tried to get better at over the years and I still um, am not great at this today, but you know, I learned this pretty early on is especially when you're on a small team, it really helps to have an opinion on things, especially in the, in the creative world where you're making videos and you're trying to appeal to an audience or you're writing or running social accounts and you're trying to build that, that audience. It, ha it really helps whether you're the most senior person or the youngest person in the room to be able to say, Hey, here's how I see this. And, you know, they might not take your advice. They might not care to, to hear your opinion. But I think having that opinion and having um, being able to voice what you would do in a situation, I think is something that's really important for people to, it's something that I've learned over the years, but I think it makes a lot of things easier. So as I worked with Jimmy and as I worked with F2, the more and more you build up that confidence to be able to be on set and say, look, you guys are the experts here. I'm going to obviously, like, you don't have to listen to me, but um, what if we tried this or what if we tried a different angle over here with a camera or something like that? And oftentimes, um, people who really are kind of focused on getting better every day, they look at that not as criticism, but as, um, someone who's looking out and trying to make them better. So I think with any kind of competitive team, um, or, or any, um, like world-class talent, they will always look for people who can help them get better. And that's something that I've, I'm trying to apply. So, so with that, with that being said, I want to go. I want to take it back a little bit. Yeah, when you were growing up, when you when you were growing up, yeah, were you were you were you one of them? Were you one of them children that were always willing to give an opinion, or were you very introvert introverted? I I was always I was always pretty introverted. Yeah, because it's definitely. I mean, I I was social for sure in high school, but never would have been like the most outspoken person or if we were in a locker room before a match, never would have been the one who had the confidence to say, listen guys, here's how we're gonna win this game, blah, blah, blah. I was never never that like team leader in the football sense or in the sports sense. Um, and so I think trying to figure out how to, how and when, cause you can't always do it, um, but how and when to raise your voice and ensure that point of opinion, I think is, is definitely something that I've learned over the years. It, it comes counter to, uh, I think, my DNA sometimes, but I'm learning. I'm, I'm trying to get better. Was there ever was there ever a time when you had where there was a disagreement let's say that and you had, and you had to take a step back and say to yourself, look, look, I know my I know my I know I I know I know what hang on let me apologies. What I'm trying to say is was there ever a time where you had to take a step back and just think, hang on, I'm just, I'm supposed to be to help them, not like, you know what I mean? I'm not saying it very well, but I think, you know what I'm trying to say? I do, yeah, totally. I think you've, you've said it perfectly. Um, that's the challenge of, you know, trying to find that voice and, and where you can plug in, especially on a team, that you can't always just say, hey, I'm right here's how it needs to be done. You guys are idiots, blah, blah, blah. You always have to find that, that pushback. Um, 
so yeah, I think that was that was maybe one of the, the great things about that Kick TV team is that they at that time they really cared about everyone's voice, even though or and, and everyone's opinion on how we should shoot a, shoot something or what the biggest story, excuse me, of the day would be. Um, there was always kind of constant debate, but how we did things and whose whose opinion we listened to changed all the time. Sometimes it was my opinion or my idea of how to like a, a funny segment. Sometimes it was Jimmy's idea or one of the other producers, anything like that. So I think I learned pretty early on that there's actually strength in not always having the right idea, but being comfortable enough to say, here's how I would do it. Let's see who has a better idea. At least you've put something out there. You've put a flag in the sand for people to react to or try to improve on. So um, yeah, there, there have been plenty of times, especially working with F2 and other creators where you share a vision for something and they have a different vision. Oftentimes their vision is going to be way better than yours because they've been through a lot of these um, exercises before. So I think there's, there's something beautiful in being willing to uh, share those ideas and then being humble enough to let others kind of plug in with their ideas as well. So, so was there ever, was there ever a time where you thought, where you thought to yourself, maybe, maybe I made the wrong career not the wrong career choice, but we all we all have the days where we like where we like maybe 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 I maybe I made the wrong choice to work in this field. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I think um I've certainly at some point, and maybe this is part of the US missing out on the last World Cup, I asked a lot of questions about like why do I spend I, I really pour all of my time or poured all of my time into football it was where I worked it was what I would watch with my friends it was you know what we would do in our spare time go to try to go to matches and that kind of stuff you really become totally consumed in this game uh, and then you realize that maybe you're too far in it and maybe you're burning out um, that's certainly something that I dealt with a couple of years ago um, so I think there's always kind of beauty in being able to take a step back and trying to figure out um, you know if, if you're investing your time in the right places and at the right times but I think um, when I felt like I was starting to burn out of football, that was a, a time that I took a step back and thought, hang on, what's what's going on here? This is all I've ever loved. Um, and now I feel like I'm tired of it or burnt out from it. Um, when I first joined YouTube, my goal, even still today, my focus was more so on gaming than on sport. That was a big change for me. That was a, I knew it was going to be that way. Um, and I it was it was hard for me to walk away thinking, you know, as an American kid who always just loved football, I can't believe I'm walking away from working in football. Um, but I guess I'm, I'm still able to kind of plug back into that world a little bit now. But um, that's certainly how it felt when I was first joining YouTube, that I was kind of stepping away from football to get to focus on gaming. And, and that was that was a hard time for sure. So moving on to the gaming side, because I do have a couple of questions like that. So what, so what age did you put, what age? Did you fall in love with gaming? Because obviously we all play games, but a lot of people they play them until a certain age. And I'm not saying they fall out, but you know what I mean. Like they, they tend to, as they get older, they tend to move on to other things. But what made you, what made you decide that I want that I want to do video game stuff as my, as my, as part of my career? <laughs> Yeah, so I think you're you're exactly right. First off, with that first point, um, I think I I fell in love with games when I was really really young. I've always kind of played games, but a lot of times it was FIFA, so focused on football. Um, and then, kind of as you get older, you you start to try to figure out, you know, why don't I love FIFA anymore, or why is Call of Duty less fun than it used to be, or whatever it may be. And I think you kind of go through these stages of um, of you know, stepping back or playing more with your friends, whatever it may be. Um, I'm also kind of going through the same thing with football now. It's like, whenever I play, I feel like I kind of enjoy it less because maybe my my joints hurt more or I'm slower and, and my touch is crap nowadays. And I think I've, I've also started to kind of have that same relationship with football where you realize that you don't necessarily have to go out and play it all the time for, for you still to love it. Um, but I think the the interest for me with, with gaming was having always worked in, in football, I, I kind of got frustrated with how um, football is still just kind of dictated by um, 
big, very valuable broadcast deals, which I think is, is, it is, it's how sport is. That's, that's not something unique to, to football, but I think in a lot of ways, you then look at the gaming space and there's no kind of history of how you would broadcast video games. So people on the internet nowadays are kind of making that up. So it's, I felt like there was a lot of innovation and um, a lot of fun energy and creative creativity coming through gaming now where, you know, when you go to watch football on TV, you know kind of what to expect. It's going to be broadcast um, with these commentators and from these cameras and that stuff. Then you look at gaming and everyone's kind of got their own spin on it. So that was something that I looked at that was really inspiring and looked like it was going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, just, just, just from my perspective, not to make this too much about me, but I used to, I used to love playing video games, but, but as I got older, just to be a background, I have cerebral palsy, so my arms don't really work. I can use my left hand, but my right hand is basically useless. So when it came to playing games, when I was younger, I used to have a lot more perseverance I used to have a lot more perseverance but as I got older I just thought you know what I can be doing better stuff in my time as I say I can't really play the games how I want to play them and to be honest it used to be really frustrating because I could tell people what to do but I never got the enjoyment of actually doing it myself yeah listen Unfortunately, I'm pretty crap at games, and I think sometimes that I have the same relationship with them now where my mind, I kind of know what I want to do, and then, you know, I, I still play Fortnite with friends, and I've been playing that game for years. I don't think I've gotten any better at it. That is very frustrating, uh, and sometimes I wonder if my time would be spent better else. If my fiance, she's in the other room, if she can hear me, she'll probably yell, yes, you can spend your time uh, better elsewhere, so... Yeah, I think that's in 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 some ways I have the same relationship with games too. Sometimes. So, as we mentioned earlier, with with social media as a whole, no matter what the platform is, you you can you can basically build your own brand and your own identity. And with with the gaming with the gaming space, as you say, it's still it's still young. Well, I don't want to say young, but it's still in its early stages, I would say. So do you think as it evolves, as it evolves, it could become a bit generic? Yeah, definitely. I think that's the challenge as gaming gets bigger, especially as it becomes a part of the mainstream. I think that's the challenge that people are, are kind of faced with to ensure that it still stays fun and creative and different. Um, I think when you see, excuse me, sorry. I think when you see gaming being broadcast like as esports, so the competitive side, it feels kind of like traditional TV. It's got a very shiny floor and big lights and moving cameras, and it feels like expensive and premium. Um, and there's something beautiful to that. It's it's really cool to see gaming elevated, but it also feels generic and same, despite almost regardless of what game they're actually playing in the competitive sense, it could be League of Legends or Counter-Strike or, or Fortnite. Sometimes the broadcast feels the same. So I think as gaming kind of grows up, as you say, um, which is definitely accurate, I think the uh, the challenge is to make sure that it still stays creative and different and innovative um, because that's been in the DNA since, since it started. So I think there's definitely something to that. And the reason why, the reason why I say that is because Obviously, obviously, we had people like clients like that came or same FIFA. And when I watch certain, when I watch certain FIFA YouTubers nowadays, or just FIFA players in general, and some of them you can tell that they, that they basically, I don't want to say they stole. Like the way, like the way, like the way influence, but they never, but they never really put their own spin on it. Like it just seems like they just copy what they just copy what they grew up on and that's it. Yeah, I think you're you're exactly right there. I think it's tough. And and that goes back to what you said a couple of minutes ago about people you try to do something different and people put you back in that lane. Maybe a lot of people aren't even put trying to do something different. They're trying to copy what works. Um I know I've seen Mr. Beast talking about um 
you know, if you're just copying, or maybe it was Casey Neistat, another big YouTuber, was basically saying, if you're copying what's popular now, you'll never break out because that will eventually evolve and you'll still be kind of tied to what used to be popular instead of doing your own thing and, and kind of creating that lane for yourself. I think FIFA is is maybe tough in that sense because you can play ultimate team or you can play pro clubs, or you can play with your friends, but at the end of the day, it's still kind of that 11 v 11 experience. And it takes yeah. a lot of personality to be able to break out of that. Um, I know they're trying to build stuff like Volta and all that stuff, but I think this is maybe why we see Minecraft, which is the biggest game on YouTube by kind of viewership. Um, it's because you can create these different experiences. You can, you know, create characters and tell a story like Lord of the Rings or do competitions almost like Rocket League or, or um, a racing game. So I think that's maybe that plays into game popularity as well. If it, if it gives creators a, a bigger sandbox to play in. Good. Just, I agree that but just to be clear, I'm, I'm not saying you can't take inspiration, but just, it's, I, I just think, I just think some, some people could put a bit more of their own spin on it rather than just copying what's already been done. But as you rightly said, with FIFA, it's a bit, it's a bit difficult. But in terms of like other games, like as you say, Minecraft, you can you can do a bit more with that. So and so it all depends on the game. And do you think because do you think esports has sort of made gaming too serious? Because it feels like like it feels like if you want to post a a gaming video. Nowadays, or like a gaming stream, people expect everybody to be at least good at the game. Yeah, I think it's definitely um, it's definitely a different challenge. I think the esports side of things. Um, I think it's really interesting when you see kind of the creators that are big on YouTube in the gaming space. A lot of them are almost more like stand-up comedians than like yeah, great competitive players. Sometimes what, there's that match. That's what but, I like to be honest. Yeah, exactly. I think it's that's what works for a lot of audiences, and that's what kind of transcends. There are also, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. There are also a lot of creators who are really good at the game, but not as good as explaining or or keeping it entertaining. Um, and I think there's there's definitely a time and place for everything. But um, it goes back to what you were saying for for creators having to find their own voice and their own spin. Um, everyone's got something new and fresh that they can bring to the table. It's just about being willing to put that out there and. and Kind of explore for that so yeah i think that's the challenge for sure so so as we start wrapping it up yeah so what 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 would you what would you like to see what would you what would be the one change you would like to see just in the creative space as a whole oh man that is a really good question um i could speak about this about this for hours probably i don't know if there's one thing specific i will say i am so inspired by creators both the ones that i'm lucky enough to get to work with but also just people who are and i'm, I'm i'll give you I'll, I'll do a little sidebar i've somehow started watching a lot of woodworking on youtube i don't know why it's just like it's so fun for me and I, i've never made a table in my life and i might never make a table but i just can't stop watching people make tables um but there are a lot of amazing woodworkers who have 100 views or 200 views and i've started to watch that and feel like oh my gosh, this is just a diamond in the rough, something I never would have seen otherwise, but somehow I've found this channel that's tiny or whatever it may be. Um, and I think it's important to be able, for, for everyone to be able to take a step back and think that views are not always just the best reflection of quality or what you bring to the table. Um, that even these woodworking channels that have a hundred views on a video or, or 50 views on a video um, are incredible and have taught me a lot. If I ever were in the position where I needed to build a table or a wall, um, I feel better prepared because of these smaller YouTubers as well. So I think maybe what I'm trying to say is um, the thing that I would change is maybe the obsession with trying to get views and, and chasing after bigger and bigger numbers each time. Um, because a lot of the beauty that, that social, me social media brings to the world is being able to share that expertise or that experience um, with, with a lot of people or, or a few people who are just highly engaged. So I don't know if it's a cop out, but that's my answer. I, I agree. I agree. I agree with what you're saying. If, I'm, if I can be honest with you, realistically, yeah, realistically, you know that, you know, that's a great, you know, that's a great sentiment, but you know that, 
you know, that's not real. That's not the reality of the situation. Unfortunately, the way the way the the way the algorithms work, and it's not and it's not just YouTubing. It it didn't let a whole. Unfortunately, if you don't if you don't appeal to the algorithm, you can make the best. You can make the best content in the world, yeah. And you and it might not get the respect. And it definitely will not get the respect. It deserves that. Obviously, as we said earlier, if you're just doing it, if you're just doing it for the love of the content, that's fine. But a lot, a lot of people like content, myself included. We are, we, I would say, we have a big. I don't want to say ego trip, but we very, but we very. You know what I'm going to say? A lot of us are very eager to stick up. Because why would we post videos, videos online if we wasn't? Yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of truth in, in what you've said. And I think some of it is unique to social media or YouTube. And some of it's just life in general. I think there are a lot of amazing kind of filmmakers who aren't making stuff on YouTube, but trying to win awards that may never win awards but they still deserve to win those awards. But, you know, for whatever reason, they're, they're, they're seen as kind of small time filmmakers. Um, I definitely think that there's something to always wanting to feel like there's a return in the, in the investment of time and, and effort that you put into something. So I think in an ideal world, the numbers will always go up and to the right and get bigger each time. Um, but as long as people are also be able to find, take a step back and find that love uh, and be able to share something that they enjoy, Hopefully it's enough to keep them going and then you start to see those numbers grow up naturally over time, maybe. Do you think do you can be a content great with you can be a content great with without I mean at least a little bit of an ego? Because I don't think you could because to put it to put it to put yourself out there and keep doing it. You I personally believe that you must have some sort of ego ego side of you obviously i'm not saying i'm not saying that everybody's yeah you know what i mean i just feel like you have to have at least some sort of egotistical side of you you know I, mean? I think there's yeah there's there's definitely maybe something to there's definitely something in there to unpack um i think everyone would probably look at it differently some people are um super confident and have that bravado and want to share that with the world um, other people, especially some of the gamers that I work with, um, are, I would say, much more kind of introspective and quiet, but really just enjoy, like, they love playing video games and they love sharing it with that audience. So maybe I guess you could you could probably say that that ha the act of sharing something is, is potentially born out of ego. But um, I think some people also just use it to, to connect with others. So, yeah, I think you could probably argue either way. I it's a bit it's a bit of both obviously i'm not obviously i'm not saying i'm not saying everybody everybody thinks uh, i'm not saying everybody thinks that they're bad people but you must you must have some sort of you must have some sort of you must have some sort of trigger in your mind that thinks that'll be good that's basically what i'm trying to say yeah, definitely. I do think that there's something to that, that you have to be willing to, in the first place, put yourself out there and say, you know, I'm not really sure what my goal is here. I'm not sure maybe even why I'm doing this, but let's give it a shot. I think you're exactly right in um, in, in that being kind of born out of uh, a curiosity or or a desire to, to try to pluck that ego. So there's definitely right. something there. But I guess, I guess you could not, I guess you could say some people might just dream or make content just because just because they might be lonely or they might be sad and they get and they get them through the day like obviously people do it for all sorts of reasons but I'm just I'm just saying I'm just saying when you look at a large majority I don't even want to say large majority like a, a decent percentage of content creators that I know that I see they they will have a bit of they will have a bit of vanity to, to them. Yeah, there's there's probably, especially the ones that uh, that have been able to, I think vlogging for sure has got to 
be born out of some sort of whether it's vanity or just a a perspective that you want to share. Um, maybe it's maybe it's down to different types of content as well, where you see it a little bit louder in, in certain areas than than others too. But I definitely I don't disagree with you. I think there's there's a lot of truth there. It's a, it's a in, it's an interesting conversation with with multiple different ways to look at it as we've already talked about. But as we uh, just as we wrap it up, my my penultimate question is: the, the, if you could work, if you could work with one creator or one footballer or whatever, who would it be? That you haven't, oh, man. That you haven't already worked with. Um, okay, so the two footballing heroes of mine that I'll list uh, that I've never worked with are. Landon Donovan and David Beckham. They were big at, at kind of, uh, I guess, a, a crucial part of my, my time in my life. Um, I worked at MLS as Landon was kind of uh, retiring, but as an American kid, he was kind of like, he was the hero for me. Um, but I never actually got to work on a project with either him or, or David Beckham. So I think those are my two, the two ones that I'd love to work with. Why are you talking? My apologies. No, it's all good. Okay. Just, just quickly bring. Wait, up. I'm going to interrupt you. Who, who would be your two or, or your one uh, here that you haven't worked with before? In, in, in terms of football players, I think it would just, just because of my childhood, it would have to be Cristiano Ronaldo. But in terms, I would love to work with Lionel Messi. Just, just. Just to see, just to see whether he's that good in the play. Because obviously I've watched Ronaldo for years. Because obviously, obviously I I grew up watching the Premier League. And when he was at United the first time, he was unbelievable. But I, I've, never, I've never seen a full season of Lionel Messi. Lionel Messi, even now. So I think I would like to do something with do something with him just to see just to see whether just just to see whether, just to see whether the magic looks as good as it does in real <laughs> in real life. Yeah, I, I think it is it's crazy to think about how lucky we are to get to witness this era of football. And I know it's all relative and you know, thirty years ago you would have had your own heroes and and um and different players that you'd look up to and 50 years ago is the same but it is kind of crazy that we get to live in this era where we're spoiled with Ronaldo and Messi and Neymar and Mbappe and Haaland and it just feels like such a crazy time and maybe 10 years from now we'll forget about these guys and have a new set to to look after maybe some of those guys Haaland would still be crushing it 10 years from now but it is amazing to think about what football fans get to be spoiled by right now uh, and to be honest with you, as I got old, I got older and, I'm, and I've started to appreciate like, the, actual, the actual artistic side of the game. I I personally think Messi is the best player of all time. Well, not of all time, but de- definitely of this era. Obviously, Milano great, but I just think Messi is still quality now because he, he got the technical ability. And I just think Ronaldo has like slowly decreased over over the last couple of seasons. Because obviously in his prime, he was still a very skillful player, but he relied on his pace a lot. And obviously he's 37 years old now, and Messi's still quality. Obviously, the French, the French league is not the best quality. But still, it's it's still unbelievable. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm being a bit hard on me now. I don't know. But that's how I feel. No, I think I agree with you, man. I think um, between the two, Ronaldo. Everyone always talks about how Ronaldo is just the hardest worker in training, and it makes sense. And he's got this crazy diet and blah blah blah. It's like he's the perfect professional athlete in the professional athlete sense. Um, Maybe I've missed it. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that Messi is 
the hardest worker and trainer and all that kind of stuff. It's just, he's got this, and not to say he doesn't work hard. It's not at all the truth, but he's just got this like intangible ability to play football. Whereas Ronaldo is like, if you just dedicated your entire life to being incredible athlete, then maybe you could be like Ronaldo Messi. It's like, Chris, no matter what you do, you'll never be as good as this guy. I think maybe there's some of that magic with Messi too, where um, Ronaldo feels like he's worked his way to the top. Messi's definitely worked his way, but also just has this like angel dust uh, sprinkled on him as well. I can't, I can't wait to see the comments. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe that might be a hot take. We'll see. Um, but it's certainly fun to watch both of them. That's for sure. Yeah. So my last question is, when you look back, when you, what is your ultimate career goal? What is your ultimate life goal? Oh man, my ultimate life goal is to, oh man, that's a good question. I don't know if I've ever really thought about that. Um, at some point, I think it'd be awesome to have a family and get to share my love of soccer and I don't know, videos and coffee and all that kind of stupid sh- stuff with, with that family. So having a, I think having a family would be an, a life goal, career goal. Um, I don't know, man. I, I feel like I, I've long outrun um, like how lucky I am to get to work in the space that I do. Every day is, a, is kind of a dream come true. I've got to work at World Cups and all that kind of stuff. So my like all, all of the boxes on my like dream career list are basically checked. Um, so I just want to continue to have fun. I want to continue to get to work with people who um, who I, I love to get to work with and who are positive and fun and upbeat and uh, try to bring new challenging projects into the world. So that's that sounds like a Disney answer. It sounds like a very fairy tale. Um, but I really do feel super fortunate to get to, to do what I do for work. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of that magic comes down to the people you get to work with. So my goal is to continue to work with fun people that uh, uplift me and challenge me, I think. As a 33-year-old man, I did, I did do what you do. I did say, I did say, I don't want to say, I did say, I do, I do like, I do make sure that you don't get left behind with the times. It's tough, um, especially now. So I'm, I'm 33. Like, there's there are TikTok trends that I just don't understand. And I think for the first time ever, I feel like I'm on the outside looking in, where I, previously I always kind of felt like I had a good pulse on what young people were watching and all that stuff. Um, I don't know if there's a way to always stay with the times, but I think being willing to uh, admit that you definitely don't have all the answers, I think it's the first step because then you allow other people's perspectives and, and points of view in. So maybe that's that's what I'll focus on doing is try to be open-minded to other people and, and what they have to bring to the table as well. Uh, that's, what, that's what I would say. You don't have, you don't have, to, be, you have to be willing to accept that you that you're not that you're not gonna be you're not always gonna know you're not always gonna know because you know what some people are like even when they are out of touch they will never they would never admit they would never admit they are out of touch and I'll be and I'll be the first one to say sometimes I definitely am out of touch with like the younger kids like the like the young teenagers and like the younger kids but I I would do the first one to me that I'm not the most hip, hip, that I'm not the most hip person in the world. But at the same time, I'm not trying to be as well. It would be, it would be really bad if I was trying to be. But I'm just being myself, and if people like it, and I like it, and also, a lot of people are afraid to ask. Questions because I don't want to come across as outdated. I'll be the first one to say, like, what, like, what, what is this? What is this new trend? And how can I, how can I adapt it for me? Yeah, exactly. I think I think there's a there's a healthy bit of um, growth that comes from comes in the world of being willing to admit that you don't know everything and and being willing to to ask other people for. Um, not only for advice, but also kind of an intro into into the, their world. 
that's certainly something I've learned by working in gaming that, you know, in soccer, I kind of always felt like I knew at least what was going on and what the storylines were, all that stuff. In gaming, it's like you're quickly reminded how many different games there are and how people love certain games and other people could love completely different games. You'll never know everything about the world of gaming. Um, and so I think there's some beauty in being willing to admit that and take a step back and uh, and not try too hard to, to feel like you're the expert in the room because um, it's just so vast. It's like music. You can't possibly know everything about every artist. So, so do you feel that like do you think that's the problem with like UK sport, like football, for example, like in like in the mainstream? I don't even want to say the mainstream, but you know what I mean, like the big, like the big broadcasters. A lot of them don't want to. A lot of them. A lot of them don't want to admit that they are, they are out of touch with certain extent. That's why it feels like it's falling behind. Yeah, I think it's it's also tough because you know they have brands that they've built over the years that they they need to kind of uphold um, and kind of a responsibility in that sense. I do think it opens the door for other voices and creators and maybe maybe that's helped accelerate some of the, the football space or just sports space in general. But um, I don't know. I think the, the, the burst of podcasting on the scene and interviews like this um, that people really enjoy finding those other personalities to attach to. So it's not always just kind of the same broadcasters all the time. Um, I guess what I'm saying is there's probably a time and place for everything. Uh, and now more than ever, we've got more choice um, in, in who we listen to and uh, and how they communicate the news or their perspective on things. So um, that's a fun fun reality for today, as I guess. Okay, guys, so I want to thank I want to thank you for coming on. And do you want to promote your socials or any project or any projects? You have coming out or anything like that. No, and I've got nothing exciting to promote on here. Um, I am honored to have gotten to join. This is for sure the uh, the most uh, boring guest you've ever had on, but it's been awesome. Uh, I'm honored really to, to get to join um, and appreciate you reaching out and, and making time for me. So that's all I've got to plug. Ants show, more podcasts, more interviews. This has been awesome. Um, and I really appreciate your time. No, it was a pleasure having you on. I think I've been you know about me for a while and I've known about you for a while. I've just for some for some reason I always I always thought it I always thought it would be too boring. To be honest, I, I thought it wouldn't be an engaging episode, but I thought why not why not just reach out and then if it's a good episode, it's a good episode. And if and if it isn't then it isn't. Exactly. You've set a really high bar, though, with, with Woodsy and um, Jack Mate and all the others. So I don't know that this reaches that bar, but you've done well, man. That sounded that really offensive. Obviously not offensive intended. No, no, no. Come on. Don't worry about that. Not at all. So, it's been an honor. Yeah. Thank you for watching, everybody. If you would like to follow me on my social, it's Anthony Talk. No. Anthony Talk One on both Instagram and Twitter. If you if you're watching on YouTube, then give me a subscribe if you're new. And if you're listening to this on audio platforms, then give me a follow or give me a review and let me know what you think. And I will speak to you later. Have a good day. Bye, guys.